0: You're
1: listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the BackerNet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Follow me on Twitter at JJLAHEY. to stay up to date on all things Packers to submit questions. We also have a text phone number. Let me pull this up here. Just forgot off the top of my head. Uh, I got a voicemail from Mr. Andy Monday. Got a couple questions that we're going to get into. I had plans for this episode. We're going to do sort of similar to what we did last week in terms of really breaking down what the defense looks like, and we're going to do that for offense. But I got so many interesting questions from you guys this week that we're going to push pause and just answer some questions because these are cool, some cool questions. Uh, Okay, Uh, phone number four, so you can leave a voicemail, we're going to play Andy's in a a little bit here, you can also shoot texts to this number, it's 231-714-4195, now I do use that same phone number for uh, No Huddle Radio, so if you are a Cheese and Packers listener, and you shoot me a uh, question for the show, maybe just let me know that that this is for Cheese and Packers, uh, so, I don't answer it over on No Huddle, which you may or may not listen to. Uh, although you should. It's a good show. Uh, I do that uh, every Friday with my buddy Gil Martin. Check that out on the Packers Talk Network. But uh, one last thing Patreon.com slash JJ Leahy if you want to support what I do. Big thank you to Ken Wayne for upping his pledge. And he's got a question. JJ, why only 5 patrons a month? This is a question for your listeners. You're the best. Thanks, Ken. Appreciate it. Good question. Get on that, guys. Patreon.com slash JJ Leahy. Somebody um, said something like, oh, don't worry, I uh, support Ryan on Patreon. That's great, and I do as well, <laughs> but uh, I don't get any of that money, so if you are under the impression that you're supporting me and Ryan by supporting Ryan's personal Patreon, that is not correct. But that's fine. You don't have to support me on on Patreon at all in order to get uh, questions answered or or send in comments for the show. Not a requirement. Okay, so the first question we're going to do is, again, I forget who the heck asked this. I think this was Pedro. I'm 90% certain this was Pedro on Twitter. Um, He wanted to know how you actually rank the wide receivers in the league. That is correct. Uh, he says, I've seen people say stupid things like we have one of the worst four receiving cores in the league. I could name four with worse wide receivers, not counting other receiving threats off the top of my head. Anybody interested in ranking cores? The four he lists are the Jaguars, Texans, Bears, and Ravens. I will just say, you kind of highlighted the issue with this in... Right, you know, right there. Not counting other receiving threats. Because receiver one for the Ravens for years has been Mark Andrews. I don't think you can just remove him from, from this equation. Um, <clears throat> I think that would be like removing Aaron Jones from the Packers um, offense and, and just expecting things to not change at all in the receiving game. So. So I am going to include – he doesn't want me to. He doesn't want me to include anything but wide receivers. I don't know, man. I feel like what I want to do is go ahead and compare uh, You know, – let's throw the tight ends in there. Maybe we go ahead and leave the running backs out because that's not their primary job. But I mean, if, if you have a guy like Mark Andrews who was the best receiving tight end in football – Let's see. Well, he was the best overall foot, uh, tight end in football last year. His receiving grade was I a mean, borderline tied. George Kittle had a 91-2. Dallas Goddard had a 91.1, Mark Andrews had a 91-flat. I mean, th- that's basically a tie for best receiving tight end in the league. I do like the teams that you listed here. Jaguars, Texans, Bears, Ravens. I think we have to throw one more into the mix, and that would be the Tennessee Titans. Well, the Titans have Robert Woods, you say. They drafted Traylon Burks this year. Yeah. Uh, Robert Woods is not going to be playing anytime soon. Uh, There's zero reason to think he's going to be ready to go at the start of the season. Uh, They don't really have any tight ends. They have uh, Michael Pruitt, who is a guy that I have liked for a while, but he's not a big threat in the passing game. He's much more of a blocker. Uh, and so you're left with Traylon Burks, who is a rookie, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, have you heard of him? And Des Fitzpatrick, have you heard of him? (laughs) So what, you know, you're losing Julio from last year and you're trading out AJ Brown for less explosive AJ Brown in Traylon Burks. I mean, everybody has always said that, like, your hope was that Traylon Burks could turn into AJ Brown at some point. They certainly went backwards. I think, I mean, th- this, this really might be the worst receiving core in the league. It's Traylon Burks and nobody. Robert Woods is not going to be ready anytime soon, like I said. So, I, you know, but are they going to make an addition somewhere? They might. All right. I know we're only six minutes into the podcast. Um, I went to bed. <laughs> So this is the next day. And I'm not going to read you the first six minutes. Um, we're just going to pick up where we left off. Part of why I went to bed was because I was having audio issues. <clears throat> They're a little bit better today. Still not great. Um, sorry about that. <clears throat> Looking at these receivers via PFF. I have keyed, on, keyed in on the six teams that I think are contending for the worst uh, receiving options in the league. And one thing that I noticed here, if I limit it to just these six teams via PFF, the team that appears the lowest, uh, the the Ravens have their number one receiver, Rashad Bateman, last year was the 76th best receiver in football. So they didn't even have number two. You got to have a top 64 guy to have a number two. Uh, their best guy was a was seventy six, so that was hmm, like top ten of the. I guess he's the twelfth best wide receiver three last year. <clears throat> now the Packers' bet highest graded receiver last year was Randall Cobb fifty two, so they don't have a number one from last year. Mazzard comes in at eighty. So right about Rashad Bateman territory, and between those two guys they have Sammy Watkins. Now obviously, you have the additions of the rookies, and that is hard to um evaluate, but I think that I think that we should at, at the very least separate uh rookies by the rounds they were drafted in so of our teams that we're taking a look at here. Only one had a first-round wide receiver. That was Traylon Burke to the Titans. The next guy taken uh, was Christian Watson to the Packers in round two. And then John Mechie to the Texans in round two. I mean, we're making a pretty good case here for (laughs) the Ravens really not being in contention for um, anything but the worst group. Uh, Bears, round three, Vilas Jones Jr. Let's see, Packers again in round four. So just by draft capital, it's Titans and Packers, head and shoulders of above everybody else um, for 2022 picks. No other round four guys to any of our teams here. Kyle Phillips to the Titans in round five, so... Uh again, Titans and Packers. And then Packers again in round seven. And that was it. That was it for wide receivers drafted to any of the six teams. So the Bears had one uh third rounder. The Jaguars did not draft any receivers or tight ends. Uh I mean I mean how do you, how do you quantitate this? You got one first rounder and one. Uh, fifth rounder for the Titans, a second, fourth and seventh for the Packers. I think that seems pretty close to equal and Watson and Burks were taken relatively close to each other back of the first round beginning of the second round. It, it's, it's close now of this whole group. The uh, Texans have, I think the uh, best single receiver on this list, clearly in Brandon cooks. He created out as the 25th best receiver in football last year. So he was a wide receiver one. Not only had uh, six touchdowns, but he did crack a 1,000 yards last year. Uh, 130 targets, 90 receptions, 77 receiving grade. That will get the job done. That's good enough. So the question is, if we're, if we're trying to, to determine, because Pedro's question was if the Packers are a bottom four receiver group in the league. Who else do the Texans have? They got Brandon Cooks, Nico Collins, who I like a lot. He was, uh, had a 65 grade last year as a rookie 74th best receiver. So, uh, a wide receiver three, they got a one and a three. Uh, Chris Conley is there as well. He had a 60 receiving grade. And then of course they did draft, uh, John Mechie. So, I think it's hard to make the case on paper that the Packers have a better receiver group than the Texans. I think it's close. I think the uh, Texans are set up a little better right now. So uh, after the Texans, I would say the next best group has to be Jacksonville. Got Christian Kirk, who is no slouch. Um, I don't. I don't think he's uh, a really elite. Receiver, I think he got drastically overpaid this past offseason, but at times he has been the highest graded receiver in the the league. Last year he finished with a 72 overall grade, uh, the previous year 62, Um, so just not anything super exciting. He had a total of five touchdowns, almost hit 1,000 yards, but like I said, for a, a good half of the season last year, he was the highest graded receiver in football. He did fall off, uh, the second half. Um, but he's not the only guy they have. They also have, uh, Laquan Treadwell and Zay Jones. Now Kirk Treadwell and Jones rank 42, 43, and 50 last year in the NFL. So you have three wide receiver twos. I think that is pretty clearly better than where the Packers are at right now. And Christian Kirk, it'll be interesting for me to see what Christian Kirk does when he's the main guy. Uh, You know, not uh, having uh, seen a bunch of targets go to other receivers like they had in Arizona. Jacksonville versus Green Bay. Christian Kirk, Laquan Treadwell, and Zay Jones compared... To, and by the way, they they all graded out right at about 71. Compared to Randall Cobb at 50 with a 70 grade. Um, Sammy Watkins, 68 with a 66 grade. And Alan Lazard, 80 with a 64 grade. I think it's a, a certainly a comparable trio. Christian Kirk, Laquan Treadwell, and Zay Jones. Now, one thing that you can look at Let's look at receiving yards. Uh, Here, Al Mazzard has 483. That is behind uh, Marvin Jones, who the Jaguars also have, and Christian Kirk at 612. Al Mazzard was the the leading receiver in yards of returning receivers uh, for the Packers this year. Nobody else cracked 300 yards. And that, I think, is where you really see... <laughs> this is where it, it's a, a pretty big um, gap between the Packers and the other teams on this list. In fact, if you're going to look at... Uh, of, of these six teams, Marvin Jones leads all of all of the receivers with 666 yards. Darnell Moody is second with 650 yards. So nobody cracked 700 yards. The top three in yards are Marvin Jones, Darnell Mooney, and Christian Kirk, right ahead of Brandon Cooks and Byron Pringle. Then you hit Al Mazzard. So I don't think that the Packers are better at wide receiver going into the season than the Texans or the Jaguars. So who are they ahead of? I think they are ahead of the Bears, the Ravens, and the Titans. So that would put them at the fourth worst wide receiver room let's look at the other three so uh let's see Titans. so the titans they have Traylon burks they're hoping to get robert woods back at some point nick westbrook akeen and des fitzpatrick are kind of it uh and then which guy did i say they took they took a guy in the fifth round who was that um kyle phillips out of ucla who's a guy that i liked but he's a fifth-round pick. So if, if you're really expecting big things out of a fifth-rounder, well, this is why you find yourself down in the contention for the third-worst receiving group in football. The Ravens have Rashad Bateman, Devin DuVernay, Jalen Moore, and James Prochet. As I mentioned, Rashad Bateman was the highest on this list. He was the 76th best receiver last year at 432 yards. The only other guy who even shows up, uh, let me see, can I ignore the snap minimum? So this increases the list slightly, uh, and this will get, if I ignore the snap minimum, which I think is 100 snaps, if you ignore that you get, any more Ravens, James Prochet sneaks on, so it must be 200 snaps because uh, James Prochet sneaks on the list. And Tylen Wallace with a 55 overall grade and 58 yards. That's brutal. Um, what you also get when <laughs> you ignore the snap minimum is a pile of bears right right at the very bottom of the list. Equitame St. Brown had um, let see the right column yeah 163 yards last year. Nasimba Webster, zero yards, one snap. Dante Pettis, 68 yards on 82 snaps. That's brutal. What the heck was he doing for 82 snaps if he got 68 yards? Isaiah Coulter, never heard of him. 13 yards, 15 snaps. And Daz Newsome, 66 yards, 102 snaps. Anybody else for the Bears? Yeah, David Moore, who came in and, and returned punts in the Vikings game for the Packers last year. Uh, 16 yards, 23 snaps. I don't recall that must've been hit during his time in Seattle. Cause I don't recall him being on offense for the Packers. He was only with us for a couple weeks though. And, uh, let's see. If we look at the rest of the bears receiving core, they only have three guys who are ranked, uh, Tajay Sharp, 107 overall. The 107th best receiver 54 overall grade 341 yards on 508 snaps. Byron Pringle, 539 yards, 723 snaps. No question in my mind that the Packers have the better receiver room over the Bears, but it's close, and I think the Bears have the best group, uh, the best room out of this bottom three. I think the Bears come in third place, and it kind of just depends, you know, I mean, what what do you want to do here with Robert Woods? When, when is he coming back? If he is going to miss at least half the season, that's pretty brutal for the Titans. They just don't have anybody else. Their wide receiver one is uh, Traylon Burks, which is better than anything the Ravens have. They got Rashad Bateman, Devin DuVernay, I think the Ravens have the worst receiver room in football, then the Titans, then the Bears, then you're probably looking at the Packers in fourth place. So, uh, Pedro, I'm sorry, I couldn't do anything to put the Packers over the Texans or the Jaguars, but you certainly can see some explosive potential here for some of these Packers rookies to take a step over some of these Jaguars players. And, uh, the Jaguars do have a former first round pick in the heck was his name? Leviska Chenault, uh, who has not done much 63 overall grade last year, 482 yards on 696 attempts. Um, and he was the 83rd best receiver in football. So that's a dude who still could break out. No question. Um, but he graded out worse than Alan Lazard last year. So LaVisca Chenault would be our wide receiver four heading into this year behind Lazard, Watkins, and Cobb. Okay, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back, and i got a couple other interesting
2: questions. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks.
0: YouTube group, patron, and all that kind of stuff. I was wondering if there'd be a way for you to talk about the value of our draft picks, not so much in the um, TSF grade or anything like that, but really on the basis of who are they replacing, whose snaps are they replacing compared to last year's team. I think there's a big value in the, in the players that we got, not necessarily because the position they drafted was specifically valuable. For example, Quay Walker is going to replace Chris Barnes. The upgrade on that is so massive that I think that is actually a good reason to say that was a good pick. Things like that, if you go through some of the draft picks like that. Also, I'm curious if someone would compare the salary that we're paying in the rank of the salary that we're paying players compared to the rank in PFF for those players. So are we paying somebody the seventh highest salary at whatever position? And they have the seventh highest p f s grade, you know, which would make it a an equal value. Are we getting more for our money compared to the grades they're having, or not? Just kind of curious how that kind of thing shakes out. It's one of those off season type ideas. Anyway, thanks. Bye.
1: All right. So thank you, Andy. Um, I'm going to answer the second question first because I think it's a little bit easier. And basically, what you're asking is who are we underpaying? And the nice thing is that Over the Cap actually has this information. You got to dig a little bit for it. but You can find it at overthecap.com slash valuation. So you grab Green Bay, filter it by value over APY, which is average per year. And this will tell you who's getting underpaid the most. Um, So the downside of this is as far as I can tell, Some of this information is a little bit outdated. For example, they have Lucas Patrick on here still, he's a Bear now. They also have Rasul Douglas as the second most underpaid player on the team. And as far as I can tell, they're not using their own numbers, because when you go to Rasul Douglas' profile on Over the Cap, you see that he's under contract through 2024 and he makes uh, 20 million dollars over 3 years. 3 million, 6 million, 10 million is the cap hit <clears throat> over those 3 years. Now, when you go back and look at this valuation page, they're saying that his average per year is under 1 million dollars. So, like I said, some of this information on this page appears to be outdated a bit. So I'm going to skip some of the guys who I think we don't have accurate information for on here anymore. Soul Douglas, Lucas Patrick, uh, Dennis Kelly. That's going to be about it. EQ is on here, but I think that their numbers are off a bit here because they're saying that he's worth $4 million. He did not get $4 million from the Bears, did he? let me see. No. <laughs> he has a one-year contract for $965,000. So take that with a grain of salt. This is the best tool I have to try and answer that question, but um, we'll start with John Runyon. Over the cap says he's worth 12, 12 million per year and 12.7 uh, million per year, and he is making less than a million bucks a year. He's going to make $895,000 in 2022. Al Lazard to be next up. Over the cap estimates that he's worth $9 million. Now, this is an interesting one because he's actually not under contract with us. We tendered him, and he has not signed it yet. So I think that his he's supposed to make like $4 bucks this year uh, under the tender, I think. And he hasn't signed that yet. So I, I do think that the Packers and Lazard both want to get a longer-term deal done. By the way, did you know Alan Lazard is 27? I thought he was way younger than that. 27 is kind of old. Josiah DeGuara over the gap estimates that he should be paid $9.7 million. He's making $1.1 million a year right now as a former third round pick. That one seems a little out of the blue. The next guy will make a lot more sense. Yash Naiman makes less than a million bucks. They are estimating he's worth about seven million. I think seven million for a swing tackle is decent, maybe a little pricey. I think all the numbers that they're quoting here are a bit overinflated, so maybe take uh, two or three million bucks off of each one of these, but it still gives you a decent sort of scale to work with. And so, if you're looking at just guys who really ball out who don't make a lot of money. John Runyan obviously it makes sense to be on here. Uh, a couple of these guys I don't think should be on here. But then Eric Stokes, they're saying that if that you know obviously he's on his rookie contract right now, but they're saying that based on his level of play last year, he would be making about eight point seven million bucks a year. I think that makes perfect sense. He is as a first round pick, he's making two point nine million. So we are underpaying by 5.8 by virtue of having him on a rookie contract. Gotta love that. Dean Lowry. Uh, We're paying him 4.9. I've said a few times I think that he's slightly underpaid by a million or two. I'm not going to give you over the caps number because it feels a little bit silly. <laughs> but how about A.J. Dillon? He's making 1.3. He uh, is one of the highest graded running backs in football. Let me check what he where he graded out last year. I was missing him because I was expecting him to be around like number five, and that's where I started looking. And Aaron Jones was right there at number six. A.J. Dillon was the third highest graded running back in football last year, behind only Damian Harris and Jonathan Taylor. Now, Jonathan Taylor makes total sense to be up there. i um, curious, production-wise. Let's compare him to Damian Harris because that's the one, really, that you would have some questions about. AJ okay. Dillon versus Damian Harris. Damian Harris had 15 rushing touchdowns, 4.6 yards per carry. 15 touchdowns? Wow. AJ Dillon only had 5 touchdowns, 4.3 yards per carry. They both cracked uh, 800 yards. Dillon had way fewer attempts, 187 attempts, compared to 202 attempts. I shouldn't say way fewer, but fewer. Uh, A.J. Dillon's pure rushing grade was much higher, but his receiving grade was a 65 compared to Damian Harris's 70. So I would say A.J. Dillon, in terms of not making much money and being one of the very best at his position in football, That's your answer right there, A.J. Dillon. He is uh, the the best player for the lowest amount of money on the Packers roster. Anybody else? Rashawn Gary, I think, would be the other guy you'd throw in that conversation. I saw um, an article this morning estimating that Rashawn Gary's next contract is going to be in the area of $26 million uh, a year. He's currently making uh, three point no, that's not right. 3.9 million per year. So I think Rashawn Gary would be probably number two behind AJ Dillon in terms of uh, being the best player for the smallest amount of money. And if you're curious, since we're here, is $26 million a lot for um for an edge rusher. Where the rusher? Edge rusher. So they have there we go. Edge rusher. That would put him up there. TJ Watt is making twenty eight million. Joey Bosa is making twenty seven million a year. Miles Garrett is making twenty five. So they're estimating Rashawn Gary makes more money than Miles Garrett. This would put him at the third highest paid edge rusher in football. <sighs> this is the price you pay, man, for drafting and developing really, really talented players. Gotta pay him a lot of money. All right. So the other question that Andy had was <clears throat> taking a look at the draft picks and who they're replacing, and therefore what their value is. So that's a great question. Basically, I, I think the question here we're trying to boil this down to is who is going to be the most, you know, who's going to be the biggest upgrade this year over who they're replacing. The problem with this is. Not all these guys are going to play in year one. So we're going to project out a couple years. For example, um, let's talk about uh, Devontae Wyatt. I think he's going to play some this year. I would be a little bit surprised if he manages to beat out Dean Lowry in terms of snap counts. I think Dean Lowry probably has more snaps this year. If Dean Lowry makes the roster, because there is the question of if you decide to move on from Dean Lowry before the season begins, you could do a post-June 1 cut, save some money on Dean Lowry, could try and trade him. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but I think it's a a possibility. <clears throat> so Quay Walker, I do think, plays. I think Quay Walker is second on the team in snaps. And obviously, I'm just going to put a giant asterisk on everything I'm saying this this podcast here. <laughs> and then that is... We don't know what's going to happen with injuries. So if Devondre Campbell gets hurt, throw all that out the window, and Quay Walker is your linebacker one. All right, just but but we're not speaking that into existence. Christian Watson maybe is the biggest downgrade here if you're looking at him as a Devonte Adams replacement. Obviously, I don't think that's a fair argument to make because I think that Devonte Adams is going to be replaced by a committee but for a 1 to 1, Christian Watson replacing DeVonte Adams, that's not good. <laughs> Romeo Dobbs, you would say 1 to 1 is replacing MVS. Now don't don't I can hear you right now talking about the specific roles that those guys play. We're not talking about that. We're talking about your snap counts. Okay? Snap counts only. So get that out of your head. We're not talking about well, MBS is the deep threat, and isn't Christian Watson the deep threat? Which I'm not even sure that's true. I think, I think Romeo Dobbs maybe is more of the deep threat, anyways. But Quay Walker and Chris Barnes is a really interesting dynamic there because I think you know Chris Chris Barnes is still going to play. You know, if you look at snap counts last year for linebackers. And again, this is not really a one-to-one. So Devondre Campbell had 988 snaps on defense last year. Would have been kind of cool if he had hit 1,000, but whatever. Chris Barnes had 527. Oren Burke still had 205 snaps. And then where's Ty Summers? Ty Summers had 29. So I do think Quay Walker probably uh, gets close to leading the team in terms of of rookies who are going to get a high number of snaps. For comparison, if we're looking at some of these wide receivers, Al Mazard had 716 snaps last year. Devonta Adams had 886. MVS had 455. This is similar territory. Uh, Devondre Campbell had more snaps than Devontae Adams did, but El Nazard had more snaps than uh, Chris Barnes had last year. The question is how many two linebacker sets are they going to have out there? And are there going to be situations where you only have one linebacker and it's not Devontae, it's Quay Walker? I think you're probably going to see Devontae's snaps go down a bit. I think you're going to see the linebacker two snaps that went to Chris Barnes last year and let's see, what, 450-something, 527. I think you'll see those go up a little bit if Quay Walker is playing well. And I think Devondre and Quay are going to have closer numbers to each other than Devondre and Barnes had last year. But I think Barnes' snaps will go down maybe a little bit, but not down to the level that Oren Burks' was last year at 205. Oren Burks was, like, you were looking for any... Excuse possible to get him off the field, and some of his snaps were going to uh, safeties. He had Savage had a thousand snaps, Amos had a thousand snaps, Henry Black had two hundred sixty-two snaps. I think that the third safety snaps this year, barring injury, are going to be darn close to zero. I think a lot of those two hundred two two hundred sixty-two. Safety snaps that went to Henry Black um, are going to go to Chris Barnes. So I think your third linebacker is going to be playing a lot instead of your third safety. So Devontae Wyatt might be one of the more – maybe is is setting you up for one of the more disappointing answers to this question. Let's look at defensive uh, tackles and defensive ends here. Dean Lowry had 674 snaps last year. I don't think Devontae Wyatt is going to take Dean Lowry's job this year. I do think he's going to take Kingsley Kiki's job because, of course, Kiki's off the team. But I think that's the role he's stepping into. 393 snaps went to Kiki. Uh, 152 went to, well, let's skip that actually. How do we even want to slice this up? 255 snaps went to T.J. Slayton. I would expect him to have a similar number of snaps this year. Uh, Jack Heflin only had 17. Kenny Clark had 782. Tyler Lancaster. So Tyler's not on the team anymore. 319 snaps to Tyler Lancaster. Those probably go to Devontae Wyatt. Don't forget, we also have to feed Jerron Reed. So I think Jerron Reed and Devontae Wyatt take... Tyler Lancaster and Kingsley Kiki's snaps. Dean Lowry's maybe goes down a little bit here. Um, but the Packers really like him. Don't expect him to be off the field just because we have Jerron Reed and Devontae Wyatt on the team. I think Dean Lowry's still going to get a substantial number of snaps. I would say Dean Lowry probably still gets at least 400 snaps. So he had 674 last year. So, you know, could he lose 275 snaps to Devontae and Jerron Reed? Absolutely. Um, so then after that, Sean Ryan is the next guy to talk about, and that's an interesting one because we don't know who's going to be the right tackle, but this might be your bread and butter right here since we did not draft a safety and the safeties are are the ones who play the most snaps. I mean, both of our starting safeties had over a thousand snaps last year. I don't see anybody else. Aaron Rodgers had 983 snaps. Of course, he missed a game. Really he missed two games. He missed two halves and then one full game. One hundred and thirty-one snaps went to Jordan Love, and I think like only like five of those were kneel downs of any type, if that. So Rogers really should have had over a thousand snaps if he had been able to play every game. Kurt Banker had two snaps. Uh, so looking at your offensive line, Royce Newman led the offense with 1,084 snaps. This right here is probably your answer. You're probably looking at uh, Sean Ryan or Zach Tom, whichever one of those guys gets more playing time, whichever one has a starting role, either at right guard or right tackle. They probably lead this rookie class in snaps. And so how much better are they than the guys they're replacing? I think that it is in the conceivable realm for a rookie to put up a similar value to Billy Turner, but that's because I don't have a high opinion of Billy Turner. Lucas Patrick was a starter for most of the year. He had 911 snaps. I think it's definitely doable to replace the Lucas Patrick value with Sean Ryan as a third-round pick. I don't think anybody else in the draft class really matters in terms of answering this question. Those are kind of your guys. So Andy, I hope that I was able to answer your question. I have one more question here. This comes from Jack, who's written in the show a couple of times. Now he sent me a tweet by Matt Schneidman, Devondre Campbell, Aaron Jones, and Adrian Amos were active participants in special drills teams or special teams drills on uh, Tuesday. Jack is concerned because he doesn't want to see Devondre on special teams because he's such an important player. I think maybe Adrian Amos is... See, here's the thing with all three of these guys is that these three starters all play at positions where we don't really have guys behind them so much. I mean, you have two running backs, two safeties, two linebackers. Easily the linebacker room of those three is the one that can sustain a loss the easiest, just because you have Chris Barnes, but what do I think is his question? He says, what do you think? Would hate to lose Dre to special teams. I agree. Let's look at snap counts last year for special teams. Uh, Dean Lowry. So I'm just looking at starters who had a high number of special teams snaps. Dean Lowry had 130. Um, Slayton's not a starter. Lancaster's not a starter. Chris Barnes was a starter last year, 116 snaps on special teams. Warren Burks is not a starter. Ty Summers, Isaac Duffy, Isaac Yottam, definitely not a starter. Shmar Jean Charles was not a starter last year, might be one this year. We'll see. Henry Black, depending on the formation, Henry Black was a pretty big contributor last year. Uh, 262 snaps, but he had 315 on special teams. Um, about the offensive guys? 132 to Malik Taylor. And uh, 132 to Josiah DeGuara, 232 to Tyler Davis. So really, in terms of starters who had played significant snaps last year, you are looking at Dean Lowry. And that's about it. Dean Lowry and Chris Barnes are kind of the only starters who had played a significant number of special team snaps. So, Here's my answer, and I could be wrong. We'll see how things shake out with Passaccia. I I don't think that these guys are going to be frequent contributors on special teams, but I definitely think Passaccia wants these guys to have some ownership of special teams, be involved in talking to the other players about special teams, If you listen to No Huddle Radio, the show I do with Gil Martin, on PackersTalk.com, we interviewed um, Chris Jackie, former Packers kicker uh, from the uh, 96 Super Bowl team. And indeed, the 90s. Uh, And I asked him, what's going to be the biggest needle mover for special teams this year? Is it getting better players out there, getting starters involved, better coaching? And he said... Well, he didn't think that any of those was the answer. He said that the players needed to take ownership of special teams. And it kind of got my gears turning. He was describing, you know, when he got these guys out there who are just only special teamers and and don't feel valued uh, you know, by the rest of the team. And they feel like peons and they go out there already feeling defeated before the snap even starts. The negative impact that that can have. Like I said, it got my gears turning about time, you know, when we have seen um, teams really take a big step uh, in, in any phase of football over the last few years. And I, I was thinking about the Dolphins a couple of years ago. What year was that? 2019, I think, when they, uh, we thought this was going to be one of the worst teams in NFL history, thought they were going to go um, winless, and they ended up. Finishing the season, how many wins do they have? Like five? Let me see. 2019 Dolphins record. They had that's the Jacksonville Dolphins men's basketball. That's not helpful in the slightest. Miami Dolphins. Five and eleven. Yeah, they had five wins in 2019. Uh and I think that they started out oh and ten. I think that's how, that's how they started the season. And the difference wasn't that they brought in better talent. In fact, they kept shipping more talent out. But you, the guys who were there just got it. And they were working together. They were playing for each other. They were taking ownership of what, were, what was going on because they were they recognized what is happening on the football field is reflective of us. It's not reflective of the coaching. Um, what the fans want right now is for us to be gone. They want everybody gone. They want a whole new team next year. That means no job for us. This is reflective of us. We have to play better. And Chris Jackie was talking about the importance of having veteran players who were leaders for the special teams. And he made the point that, like, okay, I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is going to be um, that guy because that's just not who he is. Even on offense, he's not a, a vocal leader. He's you know much more of a quiet, lead by example, play at a high level, um, expect the guys around you to play the same. So what you want, you want guys like Adrian Amos and Devondre Campbell and Aaron Jones, who are very vocal leaders on this football team, you want them... To be invested in special teams, you want the younger guys looking up to them and playing for them. I think uh, Charles Woodson, I think, is the guy who was described um, a few years ago as, you know, there were times when you were playing. I, I, I wish I could remember the, which player it was was saying this. Maybe it was Rodgers. I, I forget who it was. One of the players on the team was talking about how, He didn't want to let Woodson down because he knew Woodson was going to be mad if he didn't play well and he was going to have Woodson in his face. So he's playing, you know, as much as he's playing for coaches and and because he loves the game and whatever, he's also playing because he's afraid of Woodson (laughs) and afraid of letting him down, afraid of getting chewed out. And I, I think that's important as well. You, you got guys like Aaron Jones who are going to hold you to a high, high standard and encourage you and you don't want to let him down. I think Devondre definitely is one of those guys who can get in your face and probably be a little scary. Darnell Savage is the guy who uh, has been developing into a more vocal leader in the last year. I mean, he's, he's going into now his fourth season of the league. He's still a young guy, but it matters. So I I think that's what's going on. I think that prior to the season, you're going to see a lot of the vets um, continuing to work on special teams. I think there's also clearly scenarios. You got your hands team on a a, uh, onside kick defense where you have to have all hands on deck and you're going to have all your starters out there. It's just a matter of put the most talented players on your team out there to make sure that this doesn't, you know, this uh, kick is not recovered. Uh, but I think top to bottom, Basaccia really wants the whole team invested in special teams. And I think that there has to be a sense that nobody's too big or too good for special teams. By the way, here's another example. A couple years ago, Robert Tunyon was telling a story. I think this was at Thanksgiving dinner at somebody's house, Aaron's house, maybe. Tunyon is sitting next to Bakhtiari. They're all sitting around the table, laughing, having fun, eating dinner. And in the middle of, the, of all that, all of a sudden, Bakhtiari turns to Tunyon and just tears him a new one. And this was the this was the year before he broke out. This is the uh, twenty nineteen to twenty twenty off season, and he's like, "Hey, you're not pulling your weight. <laughs> you're not playing well enough. You're gonna let Aaron get hit." Uh, you need to play better if you want to stay on this team. And obviously um, super humbling for Tanyan, but thank God that uh, David Bakhtiari cared enough to go confront him and and take him under his wing and and hold him to a higher standard. He ended up having the best year of his career so far that following season. So I think that's important. I, I do think that's what's going on. And I, th- I think that Bissachia is a guy who is going to uh, really do his best, again, just to spread the message that the understanding is nobody is too good for special teams. Special teams does matter. I, th- I think that's going uh, to be the big thing. So anyways, um, thanks for listening. Um, thank you for sending in all the questions. Uh, I apologize for the audio quality. I know it's not good today. Uh, wish off the top of my head I knew what was going on I'm going to try and get that figured out and get that straightened out but you guys all have a fantastic day uh, remember again to follow me on twitter at jj lahey l-a-h-e-y send in some more questions it's going to be a good time big thank you to Pedro Andy and Jack for sending in your questions today and I'll talk to you guys all next week